message was, you could come back to God, you can come into God's holy presence, but you can't come any old way, you have to come God's way, you cannot come without a sacrifice. But the good news is, and was, and is, that there was a way to come to God, it was possible, that's the burnt offering. The next one was the grain offering, remember the grain offering. And that showed that coming to God was on his terms as well. But I've read the wrong section in my notes. That's right, the grain offering basically was different. It has no blood in it at all. It's the one offering where no animal gets slaughtered. It's all to do with bringing grain and other stuff mixed in the grain. It's a way of saying thank you to God. It's a way of showing that you loved God, of responding. Because you've been accepted, because this burnt offering had gone through, as it were, you could come and say, oh, great, I I just want to uh, show my love for God. That's the grain offering. And we saw that in the New Testament, when the New Testament talks about sacrifices that we make as believers, things that we do because we love God, it's using that word. That uh, that word in the Old Testament for grain offering is always the one that's used in the New Testament when it talks of the kind of offering of ourselves to God. Romans 12, for example, we looked into all of that. So that's the grain offering. Praising, serving, obeying, giving ourselves to God. Why? Because we love him. And he's worth it. Uh, Third thing was the peace offering or the fellowship offering. That's all about wholeness. How things can be fixed, how people can be at one with one another as well as with God. Remember, that was the one where you could have a kind of family barbecue after it. There was uh, stuff left over and you got all your friends in and you shared in that that, that meal. The other offerings, uh, you you didn't get to eat it yourself. Uh, This one, the peace offering, some of it is burnt on the altar. The rest of it could be eaten by you. and It had to be eaten within a certain time. That kind of forced you to get a lot of people over and and uh, have a great barbecue, you know, a, a, a hog roast, not a hog roast, no, that wouldn't be right, would it? That would be completely wrong. A steer roast or, or a, a lamb roast or something like that. And then last week there was this other one called the sin offering. And that, we do remember, showed that there was a way you could be forgiven. We looked at it last week and saw that in the sin offering, if you were an Israelite and you knew you'd done stuff that was wrong, you could be forgiven. The impact of the sin could be cleaned. It also, we saw last uh, week, had a wonderful way of showing that there was closure. It was finished. It was done with. Because all the bits that was left over were taken right outside the camp. And these offerings are all about the way God enables people to come to him. Then it was in the Israelite community... Now, we don't do any of that now. Again, somebody on the door a few weeks ago was saying, well, I don't like this. They were, they were vegan and they were very concerned about all this stuff about slaughtering animals. And I said, well, we don't have to do that now <laughs> because something else has been provided. What's that? Well, Jesus has done something. Now it's through Jesus. We just sung. You may have noticed if you're new to church that Christians often sing in songs and hymns about the lamb. You notice that? And when we sing about the lamb, we're talking about Jesus, who is the equivalent of that sacrificial lamb. He's the lamb of God, the one who's made it possible for us to know him. He's called that in the Gospels, in the New Testament. And in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, there's lots of pictures in there, and one of the pictures is of the lamb freshly slaughtered on, the, on a throne. Now, it's just a picture 
There isn't, I don't think in heaven, a literal lamb on the throne, but it was a, a picture of, of what God had done in Jesus, that Jesus is the one who's done everything, is there at the centre of heaven. Other pictures in Revelation, like he's the lion and the ruler and, and, and all of that, but that's another story. We've done Leviticus, maybe we should try Revelation sometime, but that's something else. So Jesus, then, is the way that God has provided. We're accepted because of him. We offer our life, in, uh, offer our love from our lives, that we're being changed to be like him. We're able to enjoy fellowship and peace and wholeness with each other, not because we bring a sacrifice, but because of Jesus. We're forgiven because he died. His blood cleanses us. And it's all done and dusted, as we heard last week. There is closure because he said it is finished when he died. Now, last week, as we looked at the sin offering, we saw that sin can affect us in multi-layered ways. It keeps us from God, but there's also this problem of being polluted. We need to be cleaned, and we sometimes feel that. And for the Israelite, the sin offering dealt with that. We thought last week that the blood that gets sprinkled in different places around the, the tabernacle, that kind of tent area, was like a spiritual detergent. We need to know, as we saw last week, that there can be closure. And again, the sin offering dealt with that. We saw how the New Testament speaks of Jesus' blood cleansing us, our consciences being clean, our sin remembered no more by God. Now, each of these offerings tells us a little bit more about an aspect of what God does for us in Jesus. They're like bits of a big picture. And we've got these kind of six big bits that all go together that give us this this big picture of all that God does for people as he invites us to come near to him. Well, let's read about the guilt offering then. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 14. Page 105. The Lord said to Moses, When a person commits a violation and sins unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, he is to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver according to the sanctuary shekel. It is a guilt offering. He must make restitution for what he has failed to do in regard to the holy things, add a fifth of the value to that and give it all to the priest who will make atonement for him with the ram as a guilt offering and he will be forgiven. If a person sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though he does not know it, he's guilty and will be held responsible He is to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him for the wrong he has committed unintentionally, and he will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving his neighbor about something entrusted to him or left in his care or stolen, or if he cheats him, Or if he finds lost property and lies about it, or if he swears falsely, or if he commits any such sin that people may do, when he thus sins and becomes guilty, he must return what he has stolen or taken by extortion, or what was entrusted to him, or the lost property he found, or whatever it was he swore falsely about. He must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day he presents his guilt offering. And as a penalty, he must bring to the priest, that is to the Lord, his guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. 
In this way, the priest will make atonement for him before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for any of these things he did that made him guilty. So today, it's another offering the Israelite could bring, and it's in the same kind of ballpark as the one we looked at last week, the sin offering. It's, did you notice, for, quote, when a person sins. The offering, we read, is going to bring forgiveness. We saw last week that in the sin offering, that's the first time forgiveness is spoken of in Leviticus. But there's much more to it than that. As you, did you notice? It's also... It also brought a way of being able to make amends for the sin that had been committed. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? It's what people who feel guilty want to do. When you feel guilty, one of the things you want to do is to kind of do something, to make amends. I googled the word as I was preparing guilt yesterday. It's fascinating. Didn't spend too long. Only about, actually for me, very good, only about two or three minutes. um, Because it's easy to get distracted in these things. But... And I googled it, and quite quickly up came, you know, when you google one word, you get the phrase immediately comes up. And it was uh, something about guilty for, and then there was a question, guilty, how do I get rid of guilt for cheating on my spouse or my partner or whatever? And I followed some of those things, and there were questions people were asking, and there was this great desire to somehow do something right. And some of the, you know, people were giving advice to other people, like on, you know, like they do on the internet on some of these sites. And I was saying, why don't you do this? And one said, why don't you find something that you really don't want to do and then do it because it will get rid of the guilt? It's this kind of idea. Some of us maybe have that experience of committing an offence or we know people that are close to us who have done so or had a time in prison. And there's a desire to do something, to put something right, to kind of make amends. And this kind of sacrifice, kind of deals with that. It's part of it. Well, let's look first of all at the reason for the offering. What's the problem? Here's my first big point. What is it? Well, like the previous one, it's about inadvertently sinning, it says. Uh, Unwittingly, not deliberately necessarily going out saying, I'm going to go and sin, but actually finding yourself caught up in something that's wrong. Actually, twice in this passage, it has the idea of breaking faith. With the Lord. That's what the word in the NIV violation means. And the person in Israel has become aware of it. They were aware that something is not right. And so brings this guilt offering to God. In the form of a ram. Which as we read dies and is is sacrificed and so on. What's gone wrong? Well there are three ways here. that, That it's kind of happened. That something's gone wrong. That the problem is there. First one in chapter 5 verse 14. It was about ignoring the Lord in his ways. He talks about if you've committed a violation in regard to the Lord's holy things. What does that mean? Well, you could read up some books and people say, well, it it seems to me maybe they've brought the wrong sacrifice or they've failed to do a certain thing that they promised to do. All in the connection of their, their relationship with God, as it were. Disregarding the Lord. This is an Israelite maybe who's kind of, yes, oh, I can't be bothered with all these sacrifices. I don't need to do this. Maybe it was that. Or treating God as if he's not there anymore, that, you know, they could live their lives without him, that kind of thing. Now, do we get like that as believers? Well, I think sometimes we do. 
You know, we get lose our, our devotion to God. We we stop praying. We kind of we don't deliberately intend. We we start kind of ignoring the Lord. And a few more day, a few days go by, and you think, do you know, I haven't I haven't read the Bible for a few days, or I've not really prayed at, hardly at all, or or you know, it's ages since I ever got together with a Christian in any other way, I, or in the spiritual disciplines, you know, any of those kind of things in regard to the Lord, to being devoted to Him, to living His our lives as if He's part of it because He should be. That kind of thing. Maybe it's that. You know, cooling off in devotion. Maybe that's the kind of thing that, that this offering is saying. You know, you can kind of get into that. You don't do those things, you know, in order to be right with God. But as part of your love and devotion to God, you, you know, you want to spend time with him. Or you want to do this, that. And, and all of that begins to kind of dissipate. Does anyone know that experience? Or is it only me feels like that? Thank you. You can see some, some people nodding. Or secondly, there's disobeying the Lord's commands, it says. Maybe the Israelite realising that, that his, somehow stuff has come into his life, that it disobeys God's commands, that they're not what God wants, that they're against what God says is right in his word. And it's not that he went off into these things deliberately, but just kind of drifted off a bit. Now, what this passage says, and what this sacrifice says, is just because it's not really a problem to the person who kind of think, well, I've just kind of drifted off, and, and, and they don't kind of realize it, it, that doesn't mean that it's not a problem to God. Verse 17 says, it is. It says, the person is guilty and will be held responsible. So, that's another way. Maybe we can get into that stuff in our lifestyle, things we drift into, things that, that you know, we know aren't right, but we just kind of, you know. Well, thirdly, in chapter 6, that, this is another way that we can get into trouble in these areas. Well, the Israelite could, and I suspect we're no different, is in dishonesty and deceit with our neighbour. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord, how? By deceiving his neighbour. <laughs> you think, well, I'm alright with the Lord, but you mean to tell me, if I'm wrong with my neighbour, I'm being unfaithful to the Lord? Well, that's what it says. Because the Lord says we should love God, and we should love our neighbour as ourselves. And this is the stuff, I think, that maybe fills, for, for, for many of us, are, are the relationships we have that are perhaps not the really close ones. Maybe our social network. <laughs> maybe our work. Maybe people we kind of know, but don't know as well enough to really know what's going on. So, you know, spinning stuff, <laughs> inflating stuff. Sometimes we're actually taught to, you know, gloss up our CVs, you know, so they're not exactly true. You know, every, yeah, as a house says on house, great, you know, philosopher and medic, everyone lies. That kind of thing to our neighbour. Inflating things, taking credit for other people's work, finding stuff and then using it and keeping it. I'm not meaning necessarily physical stuff, people's ideas maybe, intellectual stuff, you know, depends on what field you're in. Using it, keeping it, getting stuff from people through power, using power to, to kind of manipulate people. That's called extortion, if you use it in terms of, you know, actually saying, give me some money. But often we're saying to people, give me this or give me that, but, but we're manipulating them. Those kind of things, says here, they're 
they're wrong. It matters to God. If we're wrong with our neighbour, let alone our brother or our sister, hmm, there's a problem. So ignoring God, drifting into stuff that's just plain wrong, leaving honest, open integrity behind at home when you go to work or when you go out to the pub or when you, when you, you meet with your friends. You know, you kind of leave the truthful, the absolutely truthful integrity person back there and you put on something that's someone else that spins a bit, you know. These all matter to God, it says. And the Israelite might begin to realise that and start feeling guilty. And so might we. So that's the problem, and that's the first big point. But what could the Israelite do? That's the second big point. The guilt offering. How does this offering work? Well, as we read, it's very similar to the others. An animal is brought, this time a ram. It has to be killed. Part of it is burnt on the altar. The rest is given to the priests. The person who brings it has got the idea. They know that sin has got to be dealt with. They have to confess that sin. In a way, showing up with a ram at the door of the tabernacle, you know, you're kind of saying, here I am, here's my ram. Uh, I want to make a guilt offering. It's kind of without actually spelling anything more out, you're, you're confessing your need, aren't you? And if you weren't, I guess the ram would be bleating away, you know, as you walk, as you walk through the camp, other people, what have you got that ram? Oh, he's my pet ram. I'm just taking it for a walk. You know, it's good for the exercise. My doctor told me I should do that. You're not taking that ram for a walk. That's a guilt offering. Well, yeah, 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 it is. That sense of confession is in there. It's, it's kind of, it's not spelled out, but it's kind of obvious, isn't it? So realize that the ram was going to get it in case, instead of the person who was guilty. But there was more. This is really interesting. The person has to pay something too in this case, in this sacrifice, in the Old Testament. And they had to take responsibility for their sin. So if the man or woman had treated the Lord badly or disobeyed him, there was actually even, it says, a restitution for the Lord. Now you can't pay God back, that's ridiculous. How can you give God money? And, and you're not, certainly he wasn't kind of getting right with God by paying him money. Obviously not, but there was a, a lesson in there that's saying something has to be paid. Someone's got to pay. You're responsible. And if the person wronged someone else, then they had to give money back to the person they'd wronged. They had to put it right with the person, the other person, with a bit extra. Now, why all this? Well, the idea is coming across that sin costs someone. There's a price to be paid. You know, when we feel guilty, actually our guilt is telling us that, isn't it? Someone's got to pay for this. And we'd like to try and pay for it ourselves, but most of the time we know we can't. Guilt is the kind of emotional kind of push behind the desire uh, to, 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 to pay back. Or rather, the other, the other way around, sorry. Paying back is pushed by that, that guilt within us. So the picture is building up in these two offerings. Sin doesn't just keep us away from God. It doesn't just make us dirty. You know, one of the most famous scenes in all of Shakespeare is what Lady Macbeth trying to wash her hands to wash off the stain, which she can't as she sleepwalks. Sin doesn't only mean that we've got to be cleaned, It doesn't just leave us worried that it will never be dealt with. 
it also leaves us feeling indebted. That's what this offering is saying. Now, we know all about debt in our society, don't we? What a big burden it is to people. But you know, spiritually, even as believers, we can kind of build up spiritual debts. Knowing that there's something wrong, knowing that we're treating God badly, knowing that we're drifting into stuff that's wrong, knowing that there's stuff about the way we treat people that isn't true and that's wrong. And yet we just go on spending, you know, like not not spending money, but we just go on and, and we know that these things are just kind of accruing, like a credit card bill that, you know, we don't want to think about. There's a spiritual kind of indebtedness somewhere in the background, building up, building up, building up, and we end up kind of hiding from it. This is where the guilt offering points to something really helpful. Here's the third big point, the significance for us. See, the guilt offering says that guilt can be dealt with. The debt can be paid. Actually, it doesn't have to be paid by us. Turn to page 740. 740. When you get there, if you're using a church Bible, you'll recognize the passage. It's very well known. Others of you will know it as Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Let's read some of that. It's an amazing passage. It's all about a mysterious figure whom God is going to send, who's called the servant. And he's going to do some astonishing things through this servant. Uh, Let's read verse 4. This is all about the servant God will send. Surely he took up our infirmities, he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the theological language of Leviticus, but it goes on. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. That's the actual language of Leviticus, isn't it? It's what we've been looking at for the last six weeks. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his soul. hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied, and so on. He will make his life, what? A guilt offering. Who are we talking about here? Well, you know what? The New Testament probably quotes this passage about Jesus and why he died more than any other single passage on the subject in the Old Testament. Jesus himself quoted it the very night he went out to the cross. He talked about being numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53 was on Jesus' heart when he went out to die. 
There is a need for payment, you see, but God has paid it. The guilt offering is Jesus. He did that so we can be brought home to God, so we can be healed, so we can have our sin borne away. So this offering underlines and draws us a picture of how our guilt can be dealt with because of Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? But it also points to our responsibility. Chapter 5, verse 17, back in Leviticus, shows us that we're to make sure that we honour the Lord. We are responsible for sin. That doesn't mean we can get ourselves right. It doesn't mean that we can pay our way out of it. But there is a responsibility. And it shows us that we're to make sure that we honour the Lord in our lives, that we don't get into sin as believers, that, that we put things right, that we walk with the Lord, and that we put things right with other people when they need to be put right. That's what this whole message is about. This whole kind of sacrifice was about. And you see it in the New Testament. Do you remember Jesus on one occasion said, today salvation has come to this house. Those of you who know the Bible, well, who, who did he say that to? Anyone remember? Today salvation has come to this house. I'm going to finish soon. Sorry? Zacchaeus. Yeah, remember the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector? You remember he met Jesus and at the end of his conversation with Jesus he said, Lord, half of what I've given, uh, I've given no, he said, I'll give everything I've, I've taken away because he'd ripped loads of people off. And he said, I'll give more, I'll give them back, you know, like twice as much as I've taken. He did what's in Leviticus. And you know what Jesus said? When he, Jesus knew that the man had welcomed him and also taken responsibility and said, I'm going to put things right with people, he said, salvation. In all its fullness, everything had come into that man's situation. Zacchaeus. Remember what Jesus says in, on the Sermon on the Mount? What do you do if you're worshipping? He uses the language of bringing your gift to the altar. What do you do if you're worshipping and remember that your brother's got something against you? Remember that? What do you do? Go back and put it right with your brother. It's, we, you know, we, we don't pay our way for forgiveness but we do have to realise that we still have responsibility and God wants us to put things right with the people that we've hurt as far as we can do, to be reconciled to others. How does it begin? It starts when we confess our sin. We turn from it. We ask God for forgiveness. It goes on as we start putting things right with others. We read a verse last week. Uh, I haven't time to look it up. I'm, I'm over time. I'm so sorry. But Hebrews 9 verse 14 says this. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? That's what we thought about last week. The blood of Christ cleanses our consciences. But why? goes on. There's a so that, so that we may serve the living God. We go on to serve. We go on to keep right with God. We go on to be right with other people. We go on to live lives that are devoted to God. That's the point. So we've seen all the pieces. We've seen the totality of what God does for us, how we can come near to him over these six weeks. We've seen the problem we have as sin affects us. But we see too that we can know forgiveness and change we can come near to God. And you know, with offerings, they had to bring them. They had to want to respond to God, in other words. So with us, you know, 
we need to realize, we have to realize that we need his provision if we're going to draw near. We need to realize that we can live a life that just says that we love him. (laughs) That we can be a community in wholeness and fellowship together. That we can know treatment for ongoing sin and guilt. We can know all of that, but we have to do something in the sense of we need to respond. We need to, just like everyone in this, these, these offerings, they put their hand on the animal and said, I want this animal, what's going, God's doing somehow, I don't understand it, through this animal to be for me. I had to be involved personally with it. We have to do something, put our head on the hand of the animal, not the animal, but we have to ask God that his sacrifice in Jesus may be applied to each one of us. That what he's done in Jesus may be gifted into your experience. To ask him for that. And once we've got there, we need to serve the living God. We can live a life of love. We can walk in the light. We can keep clean before God. We can know the joy of ongoing peace with God. Of wholeness with other people. As we put things right. When they go wrong. When we inadvertently (coughs) sin. We can confess, we can come back, we can know his forgiveness, and we can see things straightened up in our relationships with others. It can be hard, that, but it's at least worth a shot with God's help, isn't it? So, this series was called You've Been Invited. If you ever get an invitation, it has RSVP on it, doesn't it? Respond, please, that's what it means in French. Well... We've been invited to come near to God. What are you going to do about the RSVP? Put it in the, you know, behind the clock in the kitchen or some other place or actually say, yeah, I'm going to respond to God because of what he's done. Martin, back to you and band. Thanks.